hello. This is Notes from the Back Row. A podcast like no other. Different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Back Row, the official podcast of backdashrow.com, champions of unsung and underrated cinema. My name is Dan Gorman and I am here again with Jenna. Yay! Yay! And we are doing <laughs> Decade versus Decade where we spin a wheel and it lands on a genre or a theme of some kind. And then both Jenna and I pick a movie from either before the 80s or after the 80s. Um, so just to get ourselves out of our comfort zones, I like to see I would like to see some more stuff from the 70s and 60s and 50s. And Jenna has said in the past that they are not the biggest fan of certain 80s and 90s types of movies. And so we just thought it'd be a fun experiment. And we did one on fantasy films that you can hear. And it was a lot of fun. And we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. I've been watching a lot of 80s movies least lately, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> I, I love it because when I see 80s or 90s stuff pop up in your feed, I'm like, ooh, what are they going to say about this one? <laughs> <laughs> one stars for cruel intentions. I got to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked. I mean, okay, it's fine. People love it. I, I dated somebody who was like, this is my favorite movie. And like now in retrospect, I'm like, I think if I had watched this at the time, it would have saved me a lot of time <laughs> on them. But anyhow, it's fine. People I remember it. it being bad in a fun trash way, but I also watched it in like 2013 or something. So I don't know. I, my my brain could be completely different now. I watched like every season of Gossip Girl, which is mm -hmm. essentially the same exact thing. And for some reason, I mean, and that was stupid. Don't get me wrong. I think that show's really dumb. But it was fun, so I watched it. And then this movie, I could not. I just could not get into it. It was yeah. too sincere. So it made me... It, <laughs> and I had recently watched Wild Things, which now in retrospect, I'm like, that was the better. That was what I wanted. Was yeah. Wild Things. I can see that. I haven't seen Wild Things in a really long time either. And my memory of it is also like, what a fun, trashy movie. <laughs> and not anything deeper than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it and that's what i liked about it yeah so now that i realized too that it was you know directed by um john mcnaughton and and now that i've seen henry portrait of a serial killer which i reviewed yeah. on back row a while ago um i think that like that also helped me put this into perspective in a way wild things mm -hmm. and, and maybe if i had seen it first i wouldn't have gotten how campy and on purpose it was you yeah. know totally um, now there was a long running private thing with back row about you not having seen clueless. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I think we should put this out there before we get into decade versus decade, which is that Veronica really wanted you to see clueless for years and years and years. And you were just kind of like, yeah, someday. <laughs> and yep. then you did it. <laughs> and finally, I finally did it after recording uh the barbarian episode with her that came out uh just the episode before this of the pod and i find i don't know what it, I, we were talking about teen movies from the 80s and and she brought up clueless again and i was like you know what this is it this is my time okay. i've been watching all these teen movies and if this isn't the time to watch it then you know it's never gonna happen and, and it was yeah. great and i loved every minute of it so nice <laughs> <Joke's on me>. <laughs> <laughs> don't you hate it when that happens when you're just like like because I've put off movies before and I don't know if it just had been such a long running thing for you that it, like because I've put off movies for so long where it's not even that I like don't want to see them. It's just that the fact that like somebody I know is pushing me is just like I might as well see how long I can make this go. And then you finally see it and you're like, yeah, it was really good. I should have watched it <laughs> earlier. <laughs> 
That's exactly it. I just, I think part of it is that I don't want to feel, I don't like to see something that everybody loves and feel like it sucks. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I don't like to be the, the contrarian. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody's telling me this is so good, it's my favorite movie, then I want to come to it, you know, with yeah. like a, a clear heart and, <laughs> you know, open <laughs> eyes. Like, I don't want to come in like, you know, oh, I don't, I'm not in the mood, you know, like, yeah. So I try to wait till I'm in the mood, but the problem about getting out of your comfort zone is you're like, you're never in the mood (laughs) because it's not your comfort zone. But uh, I think, you know, I think that was a good time for me to have seen. And I think honestly, if, if, you know, Veronica lived closer because she lives in San Francisco, I live in New York, Mm -hmm. she's from New York and that's how we met. But, um, you know, like if she lived closer and she was here and she was like, we're watching Clueless, I think that would have been like, it would have happened. Yeah, that would (laughs) have happened immediately, but. I had that with Breaking Bad on my old podcast where my friends were so into Breaking Bad and I it was already like multiple seasons deep. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm sure I'll watch Breaking Bad someday, but like, I just I'm not getting to it right now. And it was constant, like, you have to watch the show. And so at some point it wasn't even that, like, I don't want to see it. It was just like, okay, okay, like someday, but like not today. (laughs) Right. And I still haven't now. (laughs) So. That's with me with The Wire. I always figured, you know, like boys are always telling me to watch The Wire. And I figured one day a boy will make me watch The Wire. And it never (laughs) happened. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure it's great. You know, I'm sure I'd like it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, some of it is amazing and some of it is not as good. And it's but I mean, like it, it was a good show, but I definitely was never part of the like, if you don't watch The Wire Brigade, like (laughs) you'll right fucking die or something i don't know (laughs) right and that's also and that's also part of the turnoff about it is like it's the best thing you've ever seen ever forever and i'm like yeah (laughs) yeah and that's like we'll see about that how how could you go into something and not be disappointed (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah totally but but then but again then half the time you see it and you're like oh hey jaws is like a good movie and you're like god <laughs> wow, Godfather, have you, huh? Have y'all have y'all seen this? <laughs> Shark is scary, man. Yeah. Um, well, today we are here to talk about scary things, speaking of, and uh the wheel landed on horror um a few months ago, but now we're here and it's horror time of the year, and so we decided to pit the 50s against the 90s. Um, with our films, we have Dementia 1955 and Office Killer 1997. Um, I think we'll start obviously chronological, but so t- let's talk about like why Dementia and like what what brought you to having it on your radar and wanting to pick it for this. Great question. (laughs) You know, I I like to joke that my letterbox watch list is where movies go to die because I have like just thousands and thousands. Like it doesn't matter. You know, maybe someone reviewed it that I like and I trust and I put it on my watch list. Maybe I stumbled into it, uh, you know, from an article or a conversation. Maybe I was looking for horror movies from the fifties and it showed up, you know, it's like, I don't even yeah. remember how these get on my list half the time. Totally. But, um, I, I do like ni- the 1950s is, is kind of like, it's an interesting era in film because I always tend to think even I, the person who, uh, you know, r- represents the love of movies pre eighties. I always <laughs> like to shit on the fifties and the in the forties, quite frankly, because like those decades like kind of sucked, <laughs> just socially. <laughs> but um, they're actually, I mean, like I, I I'm realizing very quickly that the fifties is full of stuff that I actually really like. And part of what I like about the fifties is that it it is there's such this you know tight control over what's being shown and seen that it's all about reading between the lines to really enjoy what's actually what's actually happening. Yeah. So it takes like a level of your imagination and, you know, and I, and that's, and it's fun. It becomes more of a game, I guess, in a way, because it, sometimes, you know, when you watch older stuff, it can be, you know, it's, it's not always so easy to watch an older film with like uh, outdated editing modes or, mm-hmm. or, you know, cheesy acting and things like that. And and not everything's a masterpiece and, you know, you got to find some way to, to still get intrigued by it. So, yeah. uh, 
you know, I thought the fifties would be kind of interesting to choose in general, just because I sort of, I, I tend to, to, you know, judge it, even though unfairly, like I, if I look at my letterbox reviews, it's like, it turns out I love the fifties, but, (laughs) (laughs) but so this movie is, I thought was just really interesting. It's, I mean, totally outside of the, the norm. It's a, Mm. a, like an experimental horror film from the fifties that got, didn't even, it got released and then got banned for being too scary. Uh, (laughs) and you know, I, the, um, I think it got re-released uh, after being re-edited and re-censored in, in the yes. 1955, which is the one that we saw. And uh, there's there's basically no dialogue. It tells this story of this woman who's basically, it, you know, it's almost, it, the whole thing's very, like, dreamlike. It's very, uh, you know, psychological horror. It's just this woman wandering, you know, throughout a city in the night. And, you know, she's sort of... Uh, ends up she ends up in, in a murder basically you know yeah. and and then she starts to lose her mind and it's this question of if she's crazy or not and so like this to me was already i, I figured you know what let me choose this because it sounds really intriguing it it isn't a normal 1950s movie but i also felt like if i'm trying to uh, like lure you into watching more older movies <laughs> like it is easy to start with the outliers and be like yeah. look at this weird ass thing from 1955 and once you sort of get into the groove of like that then maybe you know you or anyone else listening could then yeah you know try and also re-enter the 50s from from a new angle and a new perspective yeah um so you, like you mentioned it was re-released as Daughter of Horror which has narration on it. Did did the one that you watched have narration or did it was it the non-narration one? I watched the non-narration. Okay, yeah, me too. Um cuz I felt like that's going to be the one. I don't want to see the one where they tried to like put put narration over it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of that see that's like corny 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I so I had no idea anything about this movie. I I don't think I'd ever heard of it. Um, but I think you're right in that. Like, it's really interesting in being an outlier. Um, it reminded me uh, not a lot, but it kind of has a similar thing of like carnival of souls where it's like somebody's kind of wandering around and these things are happening and it's all very weird. And like, is it, what's a nightmare and what's a dream and what's reality. And like trying to get a kind of like, like an, not an atmosphere. I'm, I'm struggling to not say vibes because I feel like everybody's <laughs> over overly uses vibes, myself included. But it is kind of like, let, how can I get a feeling across on screen without dialogue and just kind of, you know, inviting you to like kind of like I think dementia is such an interesting title for the movie, too, because it is kind of just like how can I make a movie that feels like a state of mind or something? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's this woman who, like, there is all these mysterious stabbings that are happening, and she doesn't, you know, she sort of has this enigmatic smile about her, and she's following, uh, you know, like, she she goes around town like this, this uh, you know, Don uh, takes her out on the town, and, and you know, it's like a weird, it, it is like a straight, I mean, it's, it is like weird vibes, I don't know, it's like this strange match and, you know, you don't really see, maybe you're guessing, oh, maybe she's going with him because he has money or something. But it turns yeah. out that she goes back to his apartment so that she can then murder him. And it just gets crazier and crazier from there. I mean, there's a scene where there's this great scene where she's in the street uh, after he's dead because she like she stabs him and then she like throws him out of the window. Like, like, yeah, out, out of the, the window. window. Yeah. <laughs> and so then she goes down to the street and she's like, you know, y- you can't tell if she's even in control of her own like faculties here. Like she's halfway through hysterical and halfway through premeditated. Yeah. And then once she sees this, this man dying in the street and bleeding, there's all of these faceless people uh, standing around her, which is just such a great, because it's a black and white movie. It's such great use of shadow yeah. to, to be really uh, just like guess this haunting visual. Like whenever people want to, you know, shit on black and white movies as not being visually intriguing enough for them. It's like, you just oh haven't seen the right ones. Like that's yeah. If somebody, you know, uh, <laughs> that's so frustrating. I, I get it's fair. Like I get it. I get when why people say that. You know, I, I like I'm not even trying to to judge as far yeah. as like 
why like it, it's clear why people have these cons- these misconceptions but they're misconceptions yeah. like there's there's great black and white movies and and plus when you're you're shooting for black and white as opposed to shooting in color and turning it black and white which is what happens now and why all of yeah. those movies look so crummy you know you're you're lighting for black and white and you're you know you're painting sets for black and white and so things show up better and you can see better <laughs> yeah like half the yeah. time like but watching anyhow. a movie that is amazingly shot in and uses like striking contrast and shadows w- when you watch that and then you watch something modern you know like whatever the new netflix movie is or whatever you're just like whatever happened to the color black on screen like right. whatever happened to like like actually having contrast <laughs> like oh everything is just so washed out well not everything anyway i'm broadly generalizing, <laughs> but you know no, what i'm I, totally I, with yeah. you every there's such such a i think a part of it is is you know and i feel like this could even be its own conversation and it's certainly been been written about and talked about before but you know, part of it really is just the way that camera sensors are calibrated. And the other part is uh, just, you know, I, I think it's this mix of like you're you're making things for a TV, you know, yeah. and, and everyone has different TVs that are calibrated different ways. Totally. And, then, and, anyhow, and but, also when something is trying to do anything like that, people complain like that right. new Batman movie, like you know, is still a comic book movie and isn't the best movie in the world or whatever, but like is very clearly working in dark and shadows and, and people that saw it in the theaters were like, Oh, I couldn't see anything that was going on or whatever. And I, and then I watched, I was like, that's not true. It just has a lot of contrast and there's, they're trying to do something visually. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I think it's weird too, because like, I feel like Gen Z specifically, like their whole aesthetic is, is so, uh, it's almost like that, you know, it's that nineties pop, uh, chunky colors and Mm -hmm. shapes and stuff. And yet like there, there seems to be this need for like hyper realistic movies or, or nothing. Yeah. Like, how do you, (laughs) how are you wearing like checkerboard print everything? And then just like angry (laughs) if something looks stylish. like, I don't get it. (laughs) Not to shit on Gen Z either. It's not only them, but yeah. But so like in dementia, I thought it was really cool that, um, so a lot of the like touch points that you think of with these black and white movies are just like film noir, you know, but you know, I really enjoyed the kind of, the the experimental elements of how the movie is sort of like constructed and put together. And then also the like expressionist elements of, you know, like the way these set, not sets have been built, but like the movie, the movie opens with that like pan down of like a matte painting with the lights flashing. And then there's like, you know, a cutout of a window, but there's like kind of a scene going on in the window with the light flashing. And just like immediately I was like, it was just a striking kind of, oh man, yeah, like the effort put into making this shot and all the handcrafted nature yeah. of it. Just like, you know, immediately I was like, oh yeah, I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is such like, it's almost, it, it's calling back more to German expressionism. Yeah. Which was so cool because again, those are movies, I mean, like that's talk about really stylized, hyper stylized totally. films. I mean, the German expressionism stuff is like my favorite. Yeah. I, I love all these. Uh, there's been a, a weird. I feel like we have a a very small fringe group of newer movies that are are harking back to that now again. And I'm so excited about it. But mm. yeah, this whole movie is like it. It feels like it's coming from a subconscious, and it, and, and it's totally expressionist. It's totally emotional. And I yeah. halfway through the film, I realized, oh, I know what this is doing. Especially when they got through the the jazz, like the obvious the jazz, jazz bar. portion <laughs> yeah. of this. I love the people in that scene that are just like freaking out. I love that. Like there's a guy sitting on the stairs, just like banging on the stairs when they walk in. (laughs) Yes. It's so good. And it's also like, you know, I, for, for cinema 60, we had a whole episode. We recorded a called, I called jazz anxiety films, which is the genre that I made up. (laughs) Yeah. But that's kind of, that's kind of what I, I mean by it is like, you get these movies that are really like they're embodying anxiety through music and emotion and so you get this like you know this tight this is only 58 minute long film yeah uh, which is another great reason to watch it it's so short i mean you've watched worse one episodes of television right like exactly you totally watch this 
But, uh, you know, it's like it, it's getting across this feeling of anxiety just through images and, and you know, editing, lighting, uh, you know, everything, music, obviously. And and so it's like this just great visualization of, of what jazz kind of sounds like and especially what it felt like. I'm, I'm always really yeah. intrigued by, you know, jazz is another thing that people like to, to shit on because there is plenty of crummy, crummy jazz out there, especially like when you get into that Kenny G kind of stuff, maybe it's fun, mm -hmm. you know, people love it, but yeah, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not my kind of jazz. And I'm always intrigued when there's something that's older or like, you know, to, to recapture the magic of what jazz actually was. Cause it was subversive, you know, like when, yeah. when jazz really broke through in the fifties, like it wasn't just, Oh, he's using a trumpet. It was like, Oh, only degenerates listen to this music. And, and I feel like there we've in this, you know, world of, of increasingly, um, well, I don't know, well, arguably <laughs> that yeah. we're, we're allowing more and more things to, to sort of slide. I mean, like blonde just came out, that's like NC 17 and it's being released on Netflix. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. so it, it's just intriguing to me. Like it, there's very little that feels like you're, you're barred from doing it unless it's just like actually depraved criminal shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's cool to like recapture, you know, what that, that, that felt like and, and to sort of like to see this, this art that was happening in the moment that, that helped capture that feeling. I just like that stuff is so intriguing to me. Yeah. I, I, as a quick aside, I feel like, like we were talking about earlier about people that will just throw black and white out, you know, because of <clears throat> their own preconceptions, misconceptions. I feel the same way about music. I feel like there was a certain point in my life where I realized like just saying you don't like an entire genre just to me, I feel like means, you just haven't put in any effort to find the right thing in yeah. that genre. Like, and which is like, and if you don't want to, then don't and never listen to jazz. And that's okay. I have no problem with that. But just to be like, all jazz is this, you know, it's like the same thing with like extreme music of, of any kind where it's just like, it's just noise. And it's like, actually there's so much going on in here, but like you have to like want to listen to it. And if you don't, that's right. okay. But like you, you can you cannot want to listen to jazz or watch black and white movies or whatever and and not dismiss it at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you know, yeah. it's as, as anything in life, like, you know, be approach something with an open mind. You know, you can yeah. walk away and, and realize again after what how long are albums anyhow? I mean, after yeah. 50 minutes of listening to something, if you're like that eh, wasn't for me, then good. All right. Yeah. Fine. It wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah. At least you tried. And you know, one of the things about this movie with the jazz stuff that struck me is, is, I mean, jazz, you know, often is very improv improvisational, but I, I'm not thinking about that with this movie, but the way that like jazz can kind of, you can find yourself in a new, like melodic phrasing all of a sudden in jazz. And I liked that this, in this movie, you could like find yourself in these different stylized chunks of the movie. So there was a really great part where they do a flashback and so she goes to the um, the graveyard yeah. and she finds the graves of her parents. And then we do a flashback where the flashback is taking place in the graveyard that she's in, which has been set dressed as if it was like a house or something. So there's like, you know, a couch in the graveyard and like things hung on trees and stuff. And it struck me as like just such a beautifully brilliant way to do an elaborate flashback in a simple way while you know, also getting across kind of like it's her who's having the flashback and she is in this graveyard. And so, of course, then it's going to kind of play out around her, you know, and it just so like such a like simply beautiful and it probably like saved money because, you know, it's a <laughs> it was easier than going and finding a whole new location. But right. I, I just thought that was such a fun, beautifully simple little way to you know, get some expressionist elements of style into this movie. Well, also just, yeah, I just love that. Cause it kind of like pans to the scene and then it kind of pans back to her. And it's like, she, she's almost been watching this scene the whole time. Like you have, <laughs> it's just really, really cool. It, I, I also, I mean, like that's the stuff that I really miss in, in modern film, you know, and, and that you especially get in these older movies where they, they had these limitations of, of, you know, clear budget limitations, but also even set or, or effects limitations. And you have yeah. to get really inventive with it. And I love that it, this, it, it, you know, it, it makes you use your own imagination while still leading you. I mean, again, there's no dialogue in this and yet, you know, exactly what's happening. 
All yeah. you have to do is pay attention. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, to look it's at your also phone nice. on, on a Sorry. movie that has no dialogue, but like, yeah, it's all in there. <laughs> yeah. And it's also nice that like it to some degree, it's framed in a kind of like one crazy night perspective. You know, these movies where it all takes place in one night, like after hours or something, you could kind of see that in this movie where it's like she wakes up at the beginning of the movie and she goes out and she sees the the newspaper with the mysterious stabbing headline. She like meets the guy in an alley who's a drunk. Then she sees the pimp guy who goes home. And then she murdered. And it's just kind of like an escalation of like, I mean, it's a silent, basically silent movie in terms of dialogue and just has music and sort of sound effects. But like it's always going to another it's it's always got to. And then this happened and you're like, yeah. oh, OK. <laughs> Yeah, it's it was this was really it was really clever. And then plus it's just fun. I mean, like any any movie where somebody takes a human hand and stucks like sticks it in their uh pocket is a is a good movie in my <laughs> book. But yeah, yeah, totally. Now I have one question. I'm an idiot. Um but <laughs> go on. <laughs> I was I was reading some of the like analysis stuff. Um I know that like people have analyzed it in the sense of it being kind of like a Freudian film. And I know that uh, there was some writing in the uh, Kino release. I guess there was a there was a reference on Wikipedia from the Kino video liner notes that somebody was describing it um, as the lead character suffering from an Electra complex, which is like psychosexual competition with her mother. And I was like, did she? <laughs> because like her dad was beating up on her mother for having an affair. So, and, and basically killed her. And so she killed her dad. And now she's having this nightmare night where she keeps seeing her dad. But I never got the sense that she was like in competition with her mother or like wanted her father or so, or something. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm with you. I don't, I don't know if, if I would even read that much into this personally, I, I, I kind of got more out of this as being representative, uh, you know, as I said about uh, of an emotion and a feeling. Yeah. And, you know, I think that maybe to, to, you know, like murder is a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like, I, I <laughs> absolutely, uh, you know, that, you know, and especially I, th I do think there's something here. There is something in here, whether or not even it was even meant about, you know, being a woman, you know, yeah. she's oh, around 100%. all of these men that are, she's around all of these men that, that are, are, you know, using her and her father, I guess, is part of that. Yeah. And just like the dangers of existing and like navigating through the night. And there's these people watching her and she's like, and these faceless people and there's like danger around every corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that, yeah, this idea that she's always being observed, yeah. I think is, is definitely a big one. Um, but I, that also, I mean, I think that that ties back into paranoia. It ties into anxiety. It ties into, you know, like you can, you can look at this through multiple lenses. So I don't know if I would be as specific as an electric complex, but yeah, I, you know, I, it also feels like I, I also couldn't say that that was wrong, <laughs> you know, like there, you can't really like totally rule it out, I guess. Like if that's where, if that's what you want to see in it, like it doesn't not work, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely got more of it from what you're saying of the idea of it being like, you know, how women are treated and and the the kind of mindset of her going through this situation. And like you said, just all the like objectification or she's just being monitored kind of throughout the whole movie. And there's always kind of a threat of violence, but she's also like done violence. So there's yeah, it was just a lot of interesting stuff. But you're right, like you could probably just read into it lots of different ways. <laughs> You know, it almost reminded me in a way, I mean, there's this movie and I almost chose this, but I figured out let's do a different decade. But this movie, Something Wild from 1961, mm. I believe it is the not the not the 90s, Something Wild, but this, <laughs> the 60s one. And it was sort of a similar thing where the movie plays out about this girl who has been um, like raped. And it, the whole thing is about the aftermath of her being raped and how she views herself, how, you know, she's worried about how others are going to think of her having been raped and, and runs away from home. And then she decides to kill herself, which is where the movie then takes a really, really crazy turn. 
with this guy who saves her and then um, basically imprisons her. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I got really angry at this movie the first time I watched it because I just hated it. Like to me, it was like just it was just cruel for the sake of being cruel. And it was mm. also like, you know, this this sort of like imprisonment fantasy film in a lot of ways. But like at the same time, like it made me like this kind of where where these two films tie in is just that I you know for for a movie that was written by a, a man named John Parker in the fifties I and even if it comes out with this sort of weirdly like almost quasi feminist point of view I always wonder how on purpose it was because mm-hmm. I I think there is like a weird especially with these fifties and sixties movies where it's like 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 men sort of get it they sort of understand how scary it is to be yeah you know a a woman in a in a time where you literally had no agency like you know if Mm. you were uh married you were literally the property of your husband and you know if you weren't married you were either going to be a you know a whore or you know somebody's future wife so it's like there it was such a narrow confine and there i i wonder if like this gets chosen for horror because there there's this like inkling of like yeah, wouldn't it suck to be a woman? <laughs> yeah. But I never know if they like they're really drawing that connection. I'm always sort of curious. Like I think the, the you know, you can get that out of the movie, but I'm always sort of Yeah. in the back of my mind I'm like, did you just come up with this because it was scary to you as like yeah. a concept? Like wouldn't it be creepy if I didn't have control over my body and then <laughs> Yeah, or like, are you just sort of absorbing this through osmosis and you don't really realize what it is that you're getting across, but you kind of subconsciously understand that this is like a scary thing or what's kind of going on. <laughs> you yeah. <know? laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of, well, you know, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So dementia, I think we both really liked it. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was great. I, I, I had fun. Yeah. Glad I, I got to check that one off my watch list. Totally. So we won't continue on with the plot and spoil the ending, but uh i think at the end of the show we'll do a kind of a wrap up um the the other film that we are going to talk about today was my pick it was office killer from 1997 directed by cindy sherman uh so this is a movie that when i was younger i always saw at the video store it had a kind of generic looking slasher movie cover that just had carol kane molly ringwald and i think uh, Jane Triplehorn just kind of screaming on it. I think Carol Kane has a knife and it would always just sort of sit beside other 90s slasher horror movies. And I always kind of wanted to rent it because it looked interesting, but I not something I just never did. You know, I just watched a million other crappy movies. And so I think a couple of years ago, I finally was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm watching all these horror movies that I never, never got to. And I I like 90s horror and so I I ended up finally watching it and I had no idea that Cindy Sherman is like a you know world renowned artist you know photographer I'm just putting this random horror movie on and I was so <laughs> struck struck by it just like it like immediately visually struck by it with the opening credits and really really enjoyed it um if you if you don't know about who Cindy Sherman is um, just like an American, uh, f- photographer has done a bunch of stuff, uh, most famously, I think in the seventies and eighties, the untitled film stills where they were kind of dressed up like movie, uh, character style, um, people like B movie people or noir film people. And just, you know, these different types of, of self photography, um, and then went on to do a bunch of other stuff uh, in the 80s and 90s. They did a bunch of stuff with mannequins in the 90s and later in the 2000s, lots of like clown photography of herself with digital. <laughs> um, but I this love is their... Cindy Sherman. I just got to say, I'm like, I've been a big okay. fan. Uh, the untitled film stills are so cool because, yeah, it's basically, you know, it's it's like setting up scenes and, and taking these self portraits yeah. uh, that like end stereotypes up being... almost like. Yeah. Of fifties and sixties stuff. Yeah. And and they're really like, they end up being really soulful and, and intriguing, like, like as if they were a film still. So it's, it's cool. Like you watch this and you're like, Oh, I know exactly what the scene would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I want to see that movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I had like no idea. Um, and 
that was going to be my question of like, if you had previous experience with Cindy Sherman before watching it. So you went into this movie knowing like, this is their feature film. They haven't really made any other feature films. They've made lots of shorts and stuff, but you knew like, okay, this is going to have some kind of a vision kind of. Well, you know, so I, I actually found out about this movie through you. I think when, when you first watched this, that that's when it came on my radar. Cause I didn't even realize that, that there was a Cindy Sherman full length movie. Yeah. <laughs> like I didn't even realize I've seen like a, a short, short films, but I haven't seen, uh, I didn't even know about this one. So that was really great. But yeah, I knew I I've, um, I'm pretty sure I wrote like a paper on her in college, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, so one of the things that leads me into this is just how, how interesting and and it's a movie that I totally love, but I, I feel like this was picked up by dimension in the nineties. So a certain somebody was involved with the distribution of this film. <laughs> and I don't think that it, maybe it was given much of a chance. Like it seems like it wasn't really marketed very well. They just tried to make it look like a generic horror movie, but it is one of those movies where it's like it, it's trying to do so much. So it's like a dark, comedy it's a a, a kind of horror thriller movie it's a character study it's experimental in certain ways it's just doing so much and i feel like sometimes when i watch movies like this i'm like oh i miss when movies tried to do everything <laughs> yeah you know like like it's tonally all over the place and i feel like now when you make movies that are tonally all over the place if there isn't just the perfect you know, foundation and people will be like, I didn't get it. It was trying to be funny and then scary. I don't you know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So the gist of the plot of the movie is Carol Kane um, plays a character named Doreen. Uh, she's a proofreader for a magazine. Uh, there's downsizing and a lot of people have to start working from home semi-relatable these days. And <laughs> um, dude, so funny to watch this post pandemic. Right. <laughs> and since it's the 90s, everybody gets like laptops and computers and stuff to take home so that they can email each other and, and everything. And basically, Carol Kane is older than everyone else, like Molly Ringwald and the other people in this film who are kind of playing almost like, you know, office mean girl style characters. There's there's a lot of kind of satire of the magazine world and just office, you know, work. But Doreen is basically like, I don't know how I'm going to do this and just, you know, is at home taking care of their ailing mother and stress is piling up. And then she accidentally kills um, this really sleazy guy. Um, and it just sort of she kind of breaks from there. And yeah, I love so much about this movie. I just think it's such a, a wild movie. And I feel like right from those opening credits of all of the credits are like projected onto things in the darkness. It's so cool. I, I fucking love that opening credit scene so much. Yeah, I think and it gets the like the tone and the mood so primed for what the movie actually ends up becoming. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think when you first put this on? I was I, I was so happy. <laughs> Those opening <laughs> credits, I was like, I know this is going to be good already. Yeah. Because it totally gets across such a great mood. Like, and this is the kind of movie that I feel like it could have been made really sleazy. It could have been made yeah. really like gritty and, and dirty. And it, it somehow is all of those things, but it's still like, it, it's still really stylish mm -hmm. and not in like, you know, a feminine, you know, I'm not, it's not like uh fashion. It's just that it, it, it has its own really specific world. Yeah. And I just love that because it's not something that you see. Like, I don't even know how to how to really describe it because it is kind of I mean, it doesn't back away from violence. It doesn't back away from viciousness. Uh, no. It gets really bloody. <laughs> yeah. And surprisingly you know, bloody. One of the other things that struck me when I watched it this time that is kind of what you're saying is like the I hate saying like lived in because everybody says like, oh, yeah, the spaceship and the alien is so lived in or whatever. But <laughs> there's like an element of this movie of just from the way it looks to the sets to the performances that just feel even though it's like a satirical stylish movie that feel grounded. Like there's even just like scenes of like her making her tea at home where she makes like a tea bag and then puts a bunch of chocolate uh 
powdered chocolate milk, like hot chocolate in it. And she's kind of like spilling it a little bit. And like, it just, it just feels like, oh, she's a real person. Like, yeah, just the way that she's acting, the way that she's doing this simple scene. I was like, oh yeah, Carol Kane's a real person. I believe her and her stresses. And like immediately I'm like, you know, understanding of what is going on with her, you know, mentally and same with everyone else, even though they're all kind of characters and some of them are assholes and, and, you know, are, you know, ruthlessly running this office or like that sleazy guy who's like such a caricature of a sleazy guy. There's elements where you're just like, but I know, I know of you, I know of you as a person. It makes sense. It feels right. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I love that with Carol Kane's character. I mean, she's like the, you know, she's the slightly older mousy office woman who does her job super well, but doesn't really have any friends, you know, and like that, that as a stereotype is like, I I mean, like, you know, I've worked with people like that. (laughs) Like, I totally get that stereotype, as you're saying. But then I also like love that they mentioned that she's the daughter of the founder of this magazine. Mm. because like that makes now it, it totally makes sense why she would like continue after killing somebody because you know that's it this is all she's ever known it's you know, probably the only job she's ever had yeah uh, and like she you know it's it's the only space she has away from her mother and away from her childhood home so when yeah. they tell her that uh, everyone has to now work from home you get why she was she's freaking out yeah and i like that her kind of freak out isn't like the like the box art suggests it isn't presented as like oh now there's a slasher on the loose it's kind of like all of her stresses have cracked her and wherever like these cracks happen to point you know things occur like you know she accidentally she accidentally kills the guy but these girl scouts show up at her door and then like later she's eating cookies and she's clearly like killed them and it's just kind of like like the way that it unfolds is so unpredictable in a way, but it's still like funny and dark. It like, it's, ne- it's, it's, it's disturbing though, too. Like her performance, when she kills people, she sets them all up in her basement and she kind of like, you know, puts on makeup and goes down there and pretends like they're all alive. And she has a crush on the one guy who died. And she's kind of like, like flirting with him and and it's like this <laughs> really dark and funny scene but you're all it's also really disturbing and so the movie never sacrifices how disturbing it is for for the comedy or for the satire like it's i i kept thinking just like what this movie do is doing is so hard <laughs> like it's so hard to do that to balance all those different things and it's and and it's and it works so well as like a miracle i feel like yeah. And then this is a movie, too, where because it was written, I mean, it's written by a bunch of people, but like at least two of them are women. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Todd Haynes, uh, Tom Kalen, Elise McAdam and Cindy Sherman that, you know, you know that like, oh, this probably was on purpose. You know, like this idea that, yeah, yeah that this this mousy girl who suddenly tastes blood and then can't, you know, is, is addicted to the power of it and addicted to now. You know, she can't get people to come to her house, but she can kill them and and like Jeffrey Dahmer style, like leave them in her basement and like talk to them. And, you know, so it's like it it does. It has a logic to it. Yeah. And as you said, it's both funny and creepy and and weird and also like totally art directed in a way that just like I really I love the, the more like specific a style a stylized world is in a movie the more that i love it which is totally you know ties back into you know um the post some of the post anime club stuff i've done with carlo where we're talking about like if it looks like you know living cartoon cinema kind of stuff and this doesn't feel like a cartoon but it's 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 absolutely a similar world. Yeah. You know, it's like everything yeah. is, is just so it feels so 90s <laughs> oh, <laughs> in a really nostalgic feels, way. Yeah. That like independent 90s film, you know, when in, independent film was blowing up, but everybody still had to shoot on film. And so you got these movies that all had these different levels of like not not cruddiness, but like they just have this like. I don't know. There's just this look to 90s independent filmmaking, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, totally know what you mean. It's like I think maybe that that mix of like handheld shooting with actual locations and like yeah. real people apartments and none of this sort of, uh, you know, like how's yeah, houses look lived in. I mean, like they look totally. like someone actually lives there, like not all of the 
condiments are like sorted yeah. alphabetically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think also what struck me this time, this was my second viewing was that again, for everything that it's doing with it's being disturbing and being funny, it, it, it doesn't sacrifice like the, the movie is also sad. Like when yeah. Carol Kane's mother passes away, she has this scene where she gets really upset and she's yelling at her and about her leaving her. And like, I was like tearing up. I was like, holy shit. This, I forgot that there's this, like this scene in this movie where like it, her reaction is so amazing and her performance. And it's such a like pile of emotions where she's mad at her mom for dying, but like clearly she's been taking care of her mom for years and now that's gone. And it's like, now what do I have? And also I've been killing people and just like, I don't know. It really struck me as this care, this Carol Kane performance being like, maybe a career best in this movie that I feel like is so underrated. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like there's this, this such a palpable loneliness to her, which is also, yeah. it's, it's relatable. And it, it, again, like post pandemic, especially this, just, this feels so, I mean, it, it made me laugh just because it's this, uh, this idea of like, you know, somebody being so upset to be working from home, whereas yeah. the vast majority of people, of course, now don't want to work anymore. Then nobody wants to go back to the <laughs> They're office. They're all quietly quitting. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, at, at the same time, it's like, yeah, this is, I mean, like we, I don't, you know, I don't, I guess not all of us, but I, I live, you know, I live alone. I thankfully live very close to to family. So I had someone to interact with, but if I was mm -hmm. stuck at home by myself completely for a year or two years, I don't know how I would have managed. I have friends yeah. who, uh, you know, I don't know how, how they managed, <laughs> you know, it was short of a bunch of phone calls, but like it, you, you totally feel for her in this movie. I mean, she's like this ruthless serial killer. Uh, and, and she goes like, I mean, you know, Carol Kane almost reminds me of Golem by the end of this. She's like totally <laughs> like, you know, out of her mind, but like, Oh my God, <laughs> she's such a real person. She's real, yeah. you know, like it. And, and when it veers into that silliness, it's just because it feels stylized, you know, it's this heightening of actual emotion that it already laid that foundation for. So there's nothing yeah. to like roll your eyes at. There's nothing to totally to sneeze at. I think one of the one of the other most striking elements of this scenes of this movie is near the end of the movie. The the guy that she killed that she had a crush on is in her basement still. And he's like decomposing and his stomach is like basically like opening up and all the skins falling off it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this like hilarious, disturbing, sad scene <laughs> like it hits every one of the marks where it's like she feels like she needs to like take care of him. So she's like spraying Lysol on his wounds and like putting scotch tape over it and being like, there, there, now you're all better or whatever. And then she's also kind of like flirting with him. And it's just like funny, but it's so fucked up because the effect of the guy's stomach is so disgusting. Yeah. And then it's also just like really sad how far gone she is. And it's like, it's just a perfect little encapsulation of like what th this movie is firing on all these different cylinders. <laughs> yeah. That was so, it was so good. Yeah. I yeah. mean, honestly, any movie that can be like both gross me out and make me laugh is like, is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like that's when I get into the, into horror movies and, and maybe like, you know, I, I like to say that I'm a wuss, which is why I don't watch a lot of horror and Veronica likes to say that's bull because all I do is watch like movies about serial killers. <laughs> but it is, I mean, like if you can get that like weird relatable line, you know, between comedy and horror and like just the, the having like a real emotional foundation for it or having this sort of stylization. I mean, like that's what I love about like, you know, Raimi. That's what I love about, yeah. uh, you know, and anything that, that again, just like manages to put, t take me out of this, boring world that I'm in and put me in a different situation. And yet I can still find my way and, 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 you know, relate to some aspect of it, you know, it, whether or not I'm, I, I you know, I don't want to murder anyone, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I said, uh, did the, hopefully the court heard that one, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, it's like, it, it, there's, I, you know, like to, to sort of yes. And this an emotion, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and play it out. Like if this happened, then like, yeah. where, where do you go? I think it's just like such a fascinating watch, like every totally. single time. Yeah. 
Definitely. I, I think Office Killer is such a, a weirdly underrated movie. I think it's it, it's starting to get its re, re, uh, resurgence. It's it's playing in Toronto as a part of a film series in a in a, in a week or two from now. Oh. And and that's really great. Um, and yeah, I, I wish that this had been some kind of a sleeper hit and we got like more Cindy Sherman movies or like feature films, or we got the continuing adventures of Doreen, like at the end of the movie, I feel like you could see that character going somewhere else and meeting a different set of characters or getting into some other kind of situations. I I would have totally watched that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I wish, I wish there was more movies like this. I know. I mean, well, Hey, you know, Cindy Sherman's still around and, and making art. So I think she needs to, Get somebody to to fund her for more movies <laughs> totally. for sure. I mean, she's like a natural, clearly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so coming to the end of the episode, uh, I know that in our last episode, we didn't really know, like, do we, because it is decade versus decade, do we have to pick one? But <laughs> yeah. I, I think that everyone listening, if you haven't already seen these movies, um, I don't think we spoiled them all the way, but if you haven't watched them, watch them together. I think they kind of would make a good double feature. Um, yeah. These are both experimental horror movies that are kind of outside of their time while yeah. still being totally representative of their time. And it, yeah, it totally worked and they're both kind of short too. I mean, like, yeah, I just feel like there's no excuse to not watch. Yeah. This is 82 minutes long for office killer. And the other one's like under an hour. <laughs> yeah. Like you can make bang out of both it. of these in one sitting. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And then when you do that, you can go to backdash row. You can find our email in the in the menu. It's uh back blog at gmail.com. You can tell us what you thought. You could tell us what decades you want to see pitted head uh, head to head, what genres you want to see. If you've watched any of the movies we've covered and what you thought of them, let's uh, get a dialogue going. <laughs> Dude, I would love that. Or, you know, you can tweet at us. You can Facebook, you can, uh, you can comment on this, um, entry on, on back yeah. row, back-row.com or, you know what, even you can join up on the crud buddies discord mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I'm there and Dan's there <laughs> Yeah, and you can totally. tell us, tell us there on discord, you know, like just, uh, just let us know. I mean, I, I, I would love to hear from people and, and this has been, it's really fun. It's encouraging me to, yeah. You know, I, I mean, like, granted, I think maybe this episode wasn't terribly outside of either of our comfort zones, but it was nice to have somebody who I trusted yeah. leading me into a, a good 90s horror movie. Well, if, so. if you hadn't picked uh, Dementia, I probably would have never seen it. And I'm really glad I saw it because I loved it. So I think that the, you know, the show has its purpose and it's working, I think. It's working. Yeah. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> yeah. So um, you can follow me on Letterboxd and Twitter at YCKMD underscore. And where can people follow you? On Letterboxd, my name is Jenna Ipcar. And that is my name on Letterboxd. And on the Twitter, I think I'm at Agreeable Car. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like a, you know, a robot came up with that username for me. <laughs> so I was nice. like, you have a, this is part of your last name in a, in a positive word. And I was like, yeah. great. Love nice. that for me, robot. If, if enough people join the discord that want to talk about uh decade versus decade, you can find the discord at crudbuddies.club. Um, but if enough people want to talk about the movies and stuff, I'll make a, we can make a channel for it. Um, you hear that yeah. folks. So, <laughs> <laughs> join you, up you got to do the work yeah exactly <laughs> um all right well that's been decade versus decade and you know i don't have a catchy closing statement so keep See watching on the flip decade the stars <laughs> <laughs>